Concord Matters is made possible in part by a generous gift from Set Apart to Serve, the church work recruitment initiative of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Many church workers always knew they wanted to serve in Christ Church, but many pastors, teachers, and other full-time church workers left careers to pursue this life of service. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about a second career as a church worker, the Set Apart to Serve team wants to help. Visit kfuo.org slash SAS. That's kfuo.org slash SAS. Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters. We have a simple goal here on Concord Matters, to seek unity in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it well, which is really our goal here for Concord Matters, in Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together with you, with, together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit, through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. Because we do not believe that the Book of Concord is another Bible, or even of same stature as the Bible, but it is all uh, all that we believe, teach, and confess within this book is in accordance with God's Holy Word and points us clearly to Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today we are studying. We are studying. Excuse me. Uh, Article 19 of the Augsburg Confession: the cause of sin. It brings up an important reality that we do have to make a very clear distinction on. If there is sin in the world and God has created us, does that mean that God is the creator of sin? Is He the cause of sin? How does this relate to our old Adam? How does this relate to the devil? How does it relate to all of this as we look at this broken world through the lens of the cross? Today, as we look upon this, it's very important for us to make this distinction. And it's also vital for us in our understanding of who we are in Christ. What is our identity? And let's be honest, in today's world, we need a full and clear message of who we are, not only in the world, but also in the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's dig in. Open up your Book of Concord. Even more so, open up your Bible and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Augsburg Confession, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ this morning, we welcome Pastor Peter Schmidt, a beautiful Savior Lutheran Church and School in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Pastor Schmidt, welcome to Concord Matters. Hey, thanks, President Finner, and it is my pleasure to join you. And uh, thank you again just for the opportunity to get in with the fellow saints into that word and as it's confessed also in the confessions. So, Pastor, this is our first time together here on Concord Matters. Tell us about yourself, uh, your family, and the work of the saints at Beautiful Savior. Oh, thank you. So, um, I am very blessed to have a wonderful wife, Ellen, and we have been married for 38 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, for 28 of those years now, we've been at Beautiful Savior in Waukesha here. And we are also blessed to have a Christian day school so we actually were part of that whole process here at Beautiful Savior of the school 
starting. There was a preschool here, and then the congregation made the decision to uh, continue to expand its Lutheran Christian um, education opportunities. And so we began a grade school um, starting with kindergarten through eighth grade. My oldest daughter, uh, Marissa, happened to be actually in what we will call that trailblazing class. And now she is 30 and her husband, Ben, and she live outside of Waukesha in West Dallas. And then our daughter, Kristen, and her husband, Matt, and our new granddaughter, their new baby, who's just about four months old, uh, they live in Waukesha here. And then our youngest son, Isaac, is just beginning his sophomore year at Concordia University, Wisconsin. So we're very blessed to uh, have such a, a wonderful family, not only our immediate family, but our church family as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm truly blessed as well. It's an honor to have Pastor Schmidt on here because my first four years of ministry were near Waukesha, North Prairie, Wisconsin, St. John's Lutheran Church. And I specifically remember uh, Pastor Schmidt and I going on a canoe ride in northern Wisconsin one time. So how about that? That That's, I mean, what a memory. What do you think? Oh, man. Yeah, I remember that well. <laughs> we were up at that Thrivent uh, Retreat Center. Yeah, Correct. That. Correct. And I, I will say, I don't know if it was, you know, from that canoe trip or whatever, but but my wife and I do love to paddle. And so we we actually have a, a tandem kayak, which we love going out on. Now, some people call those things a divorce boat, but we're uh, <laughs> now we find it to be a great way to just just unwind. So, yeah, paddling is a very good thing. And I, yeah, I have fond memories of good discussion in that canoe. Absolutely. Well, the Lord's blessings and reminder to our, our listeners is whoever we have here on Concord Matters, not only pray for him, um, for his family, but also to pray for the church he serves. So continue to lift up the saints at beautiful Savior in Waukesha. Now, today, Pastor, we are digging into a short article of the Augsburg Confession, but a very important one. And just the title itself, a reminder to our listeners, we are studying from a reader's edition of the Book of Concord from Concordia Publishing House. We're on page 41, Article 19, The Cause of Sin. Now, in today's world, it's important for us because the words right there, the cause of sin, can bring up questions that many, that many times we have to address as Christian people something that's unfathomable for people of previous generations, where you say, well, is there even sin? I mean, is that just a made-up old world and or old word that uh, is of a past time that now we've kind of figured out, no, nah, there's not sin anymore? Pastor, what would your response be as we look at this very important article? So I have to say that there have been times where I've had, I will say, the privilege of, of talking with people that might view themselves as agnostic, maybe as pure atheist. And so one of the things we get into in the conversation is, can you just help me? And, and, and again, I try to make clear we're not trying to put someone on a spot or whatever, but just, just help me to understand because I'm coming from, from my tradition in that. But can you tell me, how do you determine if there is no God to you? How do you determine what's right or wrong? Because we all have that sense that there are certain things that, granted, will be kind of in the middle. We're not quite sure one way or another. But there are some things for all of us, they're definitely right. They're definitely wrong. So how do you determine that? How do you come up with your own set of ethics and morals? And more often than not, um, what happens is a person will say, well, I kind of learned them from my parents. And then, well, where did they learn them from? Well, probably their parents. 
and eventually you get to the point of, yeah, somewhere along the line, we had to determine what's right and what's, what's wrong. And to try to live in any kind of relationship where that is just totally unclear or to say it's just purely a social construct that has just developed um, with time in organizations, it just doesn't do it for people because again there is just this innate sense that something is right and and something is wrong which then again leads to the whole question of okay where did that where did that actually come from and if there is then a god who did create everything then as you said um well is he responsible did he ultimately cause sin which this article um in my opinion, rightly so, <laughs> because I subscribe to it, uh, makes just clearly states what the scriptures teach, that sin is not caused by God. But indeed, uh, for us as human beings, and I'm, your last conversation that you had with Article 18, I'm sure about free will, uh, got into this whole business a little bit about our responsibility as, as human beings. And uh, not only being tempted by Satan, but then falling into, unfortunately, that guilt of sin. Well, what's what's very important for us is that there is a there is a, a general understanding, but people they don't want to say certain words. There's an understanding of yeah, it's not perfect. You know, we often will say to each other, people of faith or not of faith or of varying kinds of faith. Well, you know, I'm only human, and and we'll speak about uh, okay, I, I need I need help. Right, sometimes reference to people versus God, or even if you talk about God, uh, but then the question always comes: Okay, so why is it broken? Um, whose fault is it? Because someone could easily say, "Well, the devil made me do it." Right. But that's a whole other misunderstanding as we look at this text as well. And so then you have this whole problem of evil, and there's many implications of us being able to speak what we can speak and not speak what we can't speak. So that's an important thing for you, our listeners, too, that when Pastor Schmidt and I are, are, are addressing this article. We're going by what God's Word simply says, and we're not going to try to make up something or uh, to be one of those that pulls it, you know, shoots it from the hip and tries to make up something that makes sense in our own minds, but try to just simply speak what God's Word has to say and to simply not speak when God's Word has nothing to say. So, Pastor, right. anything else you want to get to before we start uh, doing some uh, of the confession? Well, I would say, again, just the whole matter of um, one, the reality of sin, and then to use our old language. Those of us who grew up maybe in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and were used to using the Lutheran hymnal for so many years, the, the general confessional words of I, a poor, miserable sinner. Um, part of this with the cause of sin, the word miserable is a, a very important word in the sense that what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 7, about I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I often end up just doing the opposite. And for those of us who may have more of a perfectionist tendency, it truly makes us miserable because you want everything to be just the way it should be. And then when you cannot reach that, when you cannot attain that, and blaming other people or just trying to excuse it 
as, well, you know, everyone is imperfect. That only goes so far. And somewhere along the line, we get back to the reality that um, I'm guilty here. I, I'm, I'm at fault. And so what we also have to be careful with is realizing, okay, yes, the cause of sin, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. But then as Lutheran Christians, we always talk about law and gospel. And of course, always getting back to, well, this is why we need a savior. This is why we don't have a helper who just gives us a, a self-help book and says, here, try your hardest. But, but we have that Savior who says, here's why I came. And, and this is why I not only lived that perfect life, but this is why I died as that Lamb of God to take away the guilt of that sin. And um, again, thinking about those words of that confession, I a poor, miserable sinner, yes. But then we can't stop there. We want to go on with that marvelous absolution that as I confess my sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive those sins and hear those good words that in the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. And uh, so, again, it's very easy to just kind of stop with the sin. And sometimes in our world, too, um, just stop and say, oh, yep, I can't do anything about it. I'm miserable. Well, no, the Lord comes and says, I do have a solution about it. Well, and that's why when we read something like this, it is uh, these confessions, it's important to us to ask the question, where is our hope lie? As you mentioned last week with Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer, speaking of free will, there's a lot of times you'll say, well, is it really that big of a deal? You know, is it really a big deal that we would say, you have no part in belief. This is all a gift from the Lord. He has done all the work for your salvation. He does all the work by the Holy Spirit to believe and to confess that Jesus is Lord. Um, it's all him. And you're like, ah, is it really that big of a deal? The question really comes down to what is the, what is, where is your hope? Is my hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? Or is it hope on something else? And that's exactly right. what needs to be thought of here is, if you're so busy blaming God for all these things, and you're not looking to him for your salvation. And so that's exactly something right. very important for us to remember. So let's dig in here, Pastor. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do all it. All right. So we're on page 41 of the Augsburg Confession, Article 19, The Cause of Sin. And we'll begin simply with the note. The blame for sin rests solely with the devil and with us, not with God. Apart from God's mercy in Christ, there is no hope for the wicked. Years after Augs the Augsburg Confession was written, in order to accentuate the depth of mankind's sinful condition, some Lutherans would imply that sin is of the very essence of people. See pages 530-531 in the Reader's Edition. The result of this faulty teaching is that God becomes responsible for, indeed the creator of, sin. Sin is a deep corruption of what that which God created and is entirely mankind's fault. So, Pastor, as we read this, it can get a little bit confusing. So how do you want to make that distinction of saying, okay, uh, God has created us, our identity is in God, but yet he did not create, um, the, blame is not, the blame is not to be on him for sin. Any, any ways you want to begin that look? Well, I think we have, you know, that word potential. And it's a word that most of us don't want to hear. So like, especially if you play sports or something, 
and all you keep hearing is, oh, he has such potential. It's like, well, that's meaning that I'm not reaching what I can, all that I can be. And so we start getting into the, the danger zone, at least in my mind, when we try to unravel mysteries of God, which are going to be very difficult for us to unravel with our limited reasoning. So for instance, the whole matter of I have free will. It's so I'm created with the ability to make decisions. So Luther would talk about um, Adam and Eve and the whole question of, well, well, why was that command given about, about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And if I'm remembering correctly, granted I'm getting old, so some, somewhere along the line, the memory starts slipping. But Luther will talk about this is an opportunity for them to worship God to receive that word of God and to honor God by honoring that word. And you know, if I remember correctly from somewhere along the line, Luther would say Adam could use the tree as like an object lesson and saying this is what we do in our, in our love for God. And so we are created to do that. We are created to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. Because we are created not as machines or as, as robots, um, part of love is being able to love, if you will, from the heart, is what we say sometimes. And so unfortunately, sometimes we also know that what we're doing um, or about to do or whatever is not the right thing, but somehow we just end up end up doing it Anyways, so for instance, I remember um, years ago. Do you remember um, remember the old TV show All in the Family? Of course. You might be too young for that. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I was not. It was not live TV, but yeah, yes, I know what you're TV. talking about. Yeah. yeah. So so way back when, before even VCRs and all that. So when I would be doing my uh, cleaning job in high school and and come home home, the end of uh, one episode was on, and by this point it was. Toward the end of the show, and, and Archie, one of the main characters, uh, was running a bar, and I remember to this day, like the his facial expression, in fact, um, from this particular scene, because unfortunately, what happened is he made the decision to uh, spend the night with not his wife, and it, the line was. Uh, God forgive me for what I'm about to do tonight. So you're sitting there going, hey, no one's forcing you to do this. You know what you're doing, but yet you kind of want the forgiveness for it in this too. What I'm trying to say by that is we as human beings were created with this ability. Adam and Eve were created with the ability to freely choose, if you will, but once that choice came and, and they started going down that road of, of sin, now, now we get into that whole matter of, of original sin. And from that point on, again, Romans 7 language, I know what I'm supposed to do, I end up doing just, just the opposite. And so the cause of sin always comes back to me. And it always comes back to the fact of the matter that... Um, I know what I'm supposed to do. I, I have this picture of what is good, if you will. 
but man, I cannot, I cannot do it perfectly anymore. It's, it's always me. It's not that God put something inside of me that said you have to sin, but as a result of a consequence, if you will, of Adam and Eve's decision, now we have this, you know, built-in terminal disease, if you will. I don't know if that makes sense mm-hmm. at all, but mm-hmm. uh, clear it up, District President. Well, as we as we look <laughs> at it, it, it is so vital that this very much so is a, okay, we are deeply corrupted by sin, but it's so quick. We want to put that in the next sentence, but I've always heard that I'm a creation of God, and then therefore God is the reason for my sin, and then you start blaming him. And right. then what we often will do is that we completely leave the devil out of the equation. Yeah. Uh, and, th- yeah. and this is so important to this one, this, uh, this confession as well, because a lot of times we will blame, for example, another person for the failure of somebody else, which is needed a lot of times, like you're saying, is if you're going into that hotel room and saying, Lord, forgive me for I know what I'm doing, <laughs> as opposed yep. to what Jesus says on the cross, right? Um, yep. that, that, that you, this is not repentance. This is, this no. is a faith issue because, you know, you're almost confessing to a, a statue as opposed to the living and living and, uh, living an act of God, uh, for you. And so, you yeah, know, what you're saying too, about just letting, you know, kind of letting Satan off completely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Luther large catechism talking about the, uh, the second commandment about, uh, not taking God's name in vain. Um, you know, roughly paraphrased, you'll have a section where he talks about, um, instead of saying luck, you know, we're blessed. On the other hand, when bad stuff happens, blame where the blame goes. And instead of blaming God, which again, kind of related to when we blame God, oh man, you created me this way, so I can't, you know, I can't help myself or whatever. We do this when bad stuff happens too, right? We instinctively, we forget about the evil one and, oh, God, you know, you're perfect. How come you let this happen? You know, whatever it would be. So it's, um, that's all a part of that, that sin, isn't it? The best definition I ever heard of sin, which my congregation hears ad nauseum because I pirated it from um, my pastor growing up, Pastor Ken Potratz at Pilgrim in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, mm-hmm was sin is a little s and a little n and in the middle is a big fat capital i and so it always comes back to me that's good that's really mm-hmm. good yeah and that that is a great way to, for us to be able to understand this so let's read this very short confession um, of the cause of sin and talk about first of all uh, the scriptural uh, words that relate to this because once again the book of concord is not its own bible but it is a, a, a confession a proclamation of what scripture already says and, and then talk about the implications that we have for today, because the implications is a very wide net. Um, it's a web that we see in almost every corner of, of our world. So let's confess uh, Article 19, The Cause of Sin. Our, te- our churches teach that although God creates and preserves nature, the cause of sin is located in the will of the wicked, that is, the devil, and ungodly people. Without God's help, This will turn itself away from God, as Christ says. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. John 8, verse 44. Now, Pastor, let me start this way, because this is where the confusion can begin. You say, okay, all right, so God's not the cause of sin. But then what do we do with Genesis chapter 3? 
when Adam and Eve fall and they are kicked out of the, 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 the consequence of sin occurs to them, someone could easily say, see, God is the, the, uh, the cause of sin because he brought it upon Adam and Eve. What would you say? Well, again, I would say God didn't create us as, as robots. And I, I would ask the person, hey, do you like to make choices? You know, do you like, um, do you like to be able to pick what you are going to wear today? Do you like to be able to pick a person you're going to be in a relationship with? Or would you rather have, you know, that all be arranged? And almost everyone's going to say, you know, I kind of like having that, that choice thing. And I said, well, why do you think that is? Do you think there's something inside of us that's kind of wired that way? Or do you think that that's just, well, that's just the way I am personally? It, it would seem to us, uh, to me, that we as, as humans, again, kind of have this desire for, you know, freedom. Some of us might be a little bit, quote, more independent, unquote, um, than others. But again, when, when God created us as human beings, he didn't create us as, as machines. He created us in love to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. Love might be something that's very, very hard to define, but we know it. And we also know that it's nothing that is forced. It is something that simply naturally comes. And so what the evil one does is he distorts everything that is good. And in this case, instead of turning the attention or having the attention on God, he would have the attention turned to Adam and Eve saying, hey, don't you guys need to love yourselves? And think about how God is maybe shortchanging you by not uh, giving you what he knows will actually be for your best. So at that point, in distorting scriptures, he's also distorting love. And when we distort love, it is no longer first loving our neighbor as ourself. It is first and foremost, I'm loving me. And from that point on, now uh, we have to kind of live with that, don't we? And so if I live uh, where, it's, where it's all about me, there are going to be a lot of different consequences, including the fact that there are some things that I just, due to that willful decision, if you will, am, am outside of now. So worst case scenario, for instance, you can have a couple that takes their marriage vows. And let's say they're very serious about those marriage vows and they are truly, quote, in love, unquote, with each other. But then over time, the evil one comes and tries to distort their view of each other to the point that someone breaks that relationship uh, to a point that it's not going to come back. Because of that, that person has willfully, if you will, and what I mean by that is as a choice of that person's will, in this case, going against what that person should be doing, that person's broken off that relationship and that person can no longer live in that marvelous marriage relationship intended to be in. So same thing, Adam and Eve really kind of created to be in this marvelous personal relationship with God. And when sin came, when they listened to the voice of the evil one, they broke off the relationship and they, they uh, broke off this marvelous bond of love. But then again, 
we can't just stop there because the full package deal is you you go on with yes they were kicked out of the garden but there was still this marvelous promise wasn't there that someone's going to come born of a woman who's going to crush satan and who's going to make it possible for things to be restored now i'm talking way too much which is a uh, you know a what shall i say uh, a skill that that pastors sometimes have that people wish we didn't but well, right now, on that note, we need to take our break. We are studying the Augsburg Confession, Article 19, The Cause of Sin, with Pastor Peter Schmidt, a beautiful Savior, Lutheran Church and School in Waukesha, Wisconsin. So stick around. Military veteran, engineer, entrepreneur. These are just some of the former careers held by current LCMS pastors. Careers that they left behind to serve congregations in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. No matter the background, our Lord calls men who have a passion for the Word and a love for serving Christ to be pastors. A sacred, joyful, and essential vocation. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about becoming a pastor, visit weareyourseminaries.org and put your experience and skills to new use in pastoral ministry. Visit weareyourseminaries.org seminaries.org. And welcome back. We are studying the truth of, of Scripture and through the Augsburg Confession, Article 19, The Cause of Sin, with Pastor Peter Schmidt of Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church and School in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Now, Pastor, we can easily see, as you mentioned, how quickly we can turn to this understanding and our, our minds and hearts just go right to it, is, okay, I'm right beginning, it says, our churches teach that although God creates and preserves nature. So we're able to say, I am a creation of God. We're able to say that that unbeliever over there, a creation of God. A person who is in jail, made bad choices, or has done evil things, a creation of God. And then we can say, oh, so the next logical step is that therefore what they did is basically caused by God, or uh, uh, that, that, that God has caused them to do this, or even more so today, is that you say, okay, that person's a creation of God, therefore their desire is from God. And so, Pastor, how would we know? And this is a good question, because there might be, for example, a, someone has a desire to go and serve at the soup kitchen in their community. Well, this is good. This is a good and godly desire. And someone says, oh, good. So whatever desire I have, therefore, is from God. How would you uh, teach the scriptures, especially in light of this cause of sin understanding of scripture, to say, okay, how do, you, how do they determine whether or not um, their desire uh, is, is a good and godly thing? So when we talk about desires and good and godly things, I think there's, there's a distinction we have to make between thinking that we're doing something for God. And so by doing these godly things, I'm going to earn something from God. And so it's more like an employer-employee relationship. And then we get into the whole good works thing where we think, you know, look at all the good stuff I've done for you, God, so you're obligated to do this or that for me. The, the wonder of our God is in his marvelous patience with his creation are there some people who might be avowed atheists that can do some things that when all is said and done 
are beneficial to the people around them? And if those things are beneficial to the people around them, are they ultimately reflecting a design that God has for creation? Definitely. On the other hand, if we're saying that if someone just does a good thing, oh, you know, it's kind of like, um, it was a Carl Rahner uh, decades ago that had this whole idea of being um, an anonymous Christian, where the only, if you do good things, the only way you can do that is because the Holy Spirit's working in you, Jesus is working in you, God's grace is in you. So you're actually a Christian um, without really knowing it. Well, no, the scriptures don't teach that, but um, we do hear the Lord every once in a while saying, you're not far from the kingdom of God. So in other words, you're, you're doing things which are reflecting the design for creation. And imagine if we had a whole world where, uh, you know, everyone who wasn't a Christian just did everything which was, you know, totally against God. Well, the world wouldn't last really, really long, would it? On the other hand, when Jesus teaches that story uh, about the weeds and the wheat in Matthew 13. So we have this farmer who sows this field of wheat and everything's great. Apparently his neighbor was ticked off at him. And so he goes and sows some weeds at night. And it's not until much later on as the plants really develop that the workers realize, oh, this isn't all wheat. There's wheat here, but then there's also these weeds, which probably bearded Darnell, which look just like wheat almost while they're coming up until all of a sudden we get maturity. Well, in this world too, you are going to see this mixture, if you will. You're, you're going to see um, non-Christians doing things which reflect the goodness of God as far as following a design that he um, had intended for this creation. But you're also unfortunately going to see those of us who are followers of Jesus do some things every once in a while which are not what Jesus calls us to do. So when we talk about us being poor, miserable sinners corrupted by sin, um, what we're talking about is we cannot, you know, as Luther would say in in uh, the explanation of the third article, I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. So my salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ, not by my works. I might do a, a lot of really nice things, but if I don't recognize um, the fact that I'm a poor, miserable sinner and need a savior and not a helper, um, then I'm not far from the kingdom of God, if you will. So I'm, I'm right direction, if you will, but I need Jesus. And, and I honor and glorify God and worship him when I celebrate his means of my salvation. Uh, on the other hand, if I say I'm a, a follower of Jesus, so I believe in Jesus, say by grace alone through faith, but my life is not reflecting the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, of the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, well, then I'm really not following Jesus either because now what I'm doing is, you know, saying I'm one thing when in reality, from the inside out, I'm not.
And as we look at this, it is, it, it is, it is just very tricky. And I love how you're how you're breaking this down for us, because we so easily can try to make it sound like what is godly is what I feel from my heart. <laughs> and 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 the problem with that is your heart might be wrong. I mean, Jesus speaks about right. this. It's speaking about it's not go, what goes into the body that makes one unclean, but what comes out from the heart that makes one unclean. And so we right. have to remember that there's this, this identity we have as ones who are deeply corrupted, but we can't blame that corruption on God. And Pastor, to me, it's very clear in our culture that we will see the devil— and his works and his ways that we that we confess when we are renouncing them when our baby is when a baby is baptized, which is, I mean, right there is just that understanding of the need for all of us of a savior, like you said, that that this devil we will treat it as if the devil is kind of like this this presence on paranormal activity or a movie called Insidious or it's kind of this amazing crazy thing that happens in kind of weird people's homes or something. As opposed to that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. And so where I'm trying to think about how we can speak about this faithfully, take it very serious, but obviously not in despair because guess what? Jesus has conquered. He has crushed the head of the devil. And so how do we, quote, not blame God and then at the same time blame the devil but understand that God is above it all? Uh, as you as you preach and teach, Pastor, how do we keep those things in a, a correct uh, columns, if you will, or a correct way to always keep Christ at the center? So, so I think a couple of things. First of all, I think about words in, in James chapter 1. Uh, James, beginning in chapter 1, verse 13, When tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And to me, the beauty of the scriptures is God doesn't whitewash anything, but shows his people as they are, complete with all the warts. And so we have that account of David with Bathsheba, which is so instructive because you have this king who has everything. He should be out at battle probably with his troops in the springtime, but he stays home. He's on the porch or wherever he is in the palace looking, and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath, and we know what happens where he commits adultery eventually, has her husband uh, put to death in battle so he can look like this good, compassionate king who marries then this poor widow. And he tries to live with this lie, you know, for months. And then finally the prophet Nathan comes and confronts him and tells him a story about this uh, family that maybe didn't do so well for themselves economically. And they had this little lamb, this little ewe lamb that they treated like a pet. And some rich guy came along and he had some company and he wanted a dinner. So he took their ewe lamb and had it slaughtered for the meal. And David hears his story 
and is burning with anger. And Nathan just looks at him and says, you're the man. And David is caught. And at this point now, he can do a couple of things. He can blame circumstances. He could be like Adam when God confronted him saying, hey, it was that woman that you gave me. Hey, if she wouldn't have been out there in the open, you know, I would not have looked. No, he doesn't do it. I've sinned. I've sinned. And then we have this beautiful hymn of confession, Psalm 51, and where he talks about in sin did my mother conceive me, and he just pleads that the Lord would cleanse him and wash him. And in the middle of that, we have words that we often use for an offertory, right? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So there's that matter of the heart thing as far as, oh, follow your heart. You know what? If it's my heart that's filled with sin, I might be able to do some stuff that's pretty good, but I'm going to do a lot of stuff that's very self-centered, and I'm going to take advantage of other people for me. But if it's a heart that has been created anew through the Holy Spirit working in this marvelous faith in our Lord Jesus Okay, what am I going to do? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right or steadfast spirit within me. And what's my prayer? Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. So it's not just restore to me joy, but the joy of your salvation, the joy of what it means to be restored. And so, again, this marvelous picture in the scripture is what we look forward to is, in a sense, Eden restored and going back to life before the fall. And in my worship of God, I confess my sin. I take responsibility by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Yeah. Is the devil really good instead of building things up at tearing things down and trying to rip me away from my Lord? That's what he tries to do. Like you said, he's like that roaring lion going around looking for someone to devour. But I have a God who's much greater. And I have a Savior who died on the cross for me, rose victorious for me. He's going to come back, back again for me. And I have this glorious Lord who has wiped out the guilt of my sin so that I can now live in the joy of his salvation. Okay, so like Luther says, when the devil comes around and and confronts you with this or that, okay, you're right, but so what? Because I have one who's much greater. I have my Lord Jesus Christ. And this is thanks be to God, and that's a that's a great sermon in itself, right there. Um, is that understanding <laughs> of the the devil will always want to bring up your sins, and instead of and to be like David when when Nathan addressed him is to be able to say, you're right, Lord have mercy on me, and thanks be to God for the forgiveness that he freely gives, as he gave through Nathan and, and, and through the cross, um, looking to Jesus yet to come, and us looking back at Jesus who has come and is still with us, that by his wounds we are healed. That, that when we look at everything, that we do probably need to spend more time blaming the devil and saying, be gone, Satan, as Jesus did when, when, when surrounded by Legion and others. At the same time, how would you address, like, for example, your son is, 
uh, is hanging out 10 years ago or so. He's playing video games, and then he, he does something uh, not quite what is God-pleasing to him. And I have a son who's going into ninth grade, so I think about this as well. And you say, that's not right. And they will say, well, the devil made me do it. It says right here that the, the, the blame for all this is the devil. So what would you tell your son when he says such wise words for a teenager? Yeah, I would I would say, yeah, well, let's put it this way. He wasn't controlling the mouse or the keyboard. <laughs> he might have put a really he might have put that thought in front of you, like those old cartoons, you know, like with the little demon on the one side and the angel on the other. And so, you know, there was this old comedian from way back when, when I was young, Flip Wilson, who would always talk about the devil made mm-hmm. me do it. Um, no, the devil doesn't force me to do anything. Is he really good at tempting and suggesting? Oh, yeah, you bet. And there are times, it it's kind of like, a, I heard this joke one time where this guy was on a diet, and which I should be on, and this guy um, came to the office and he brought this box of like a couple of dozen donuts and everyone's looking at him going, I thought you were on a diet. What are you doing bringing all these donuts? He said, yeah, you know, but I was going past this bakery and, oh, man, I just thought donuts sounded really good. So you know what I did? I prayed to God. I said, God, you know, if you open up a parking spot for me, that's your will that I should go buy these donuts. And sure enough, the seventh time around the block, there was a parking spot that opened up. And so now I can, you know, hear the donuts. And what the evil one's really good at doing is is twisting things. And um, what he does is he has this power of suggestion that we're not always really good at realizing what he's suggesting is a trap. And so I, I think when we pray the Lord's Prayer, Again, very instructive where Jesus teaches us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This idea of leading me not into temptation, as Luther says in a small catechism, God tempts no one to sin. No, he doesn't do that. So what's it talking about? It's talking about make me aware. Help me to be aware of these traps around me. So when I hear the evil one putting those suggestions in my head, I also hear the word of God. So in the case of, let's say, you know, um, my son, let's say even me, you know, you might be um, on the Internet and, and you're tempted to go at a place you're not supposed to go. And you might hear this kind of nonsense of, oh, you know, we're going to go. The, you, you need to know what everyone else is looking at, you know, so you're aware. So why don't you just go on this or that site? OK, I'm hearing that voice. What I need to hear at this point now is the voice of of our Lord uh, through the word where several sections where he'll talk about, look, if you even look at someone lustfully, you've you've already create uh, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You know, words like that where it's like, oh, I see what you're trying to do, evil one. You're trying to trip me up and get me away. So in the case of, you know, if my son is saying, oh, geez, you know, that I just, the devil made me do it. No, he wasn't controlling you. He was suggesting. So what we need to work on now, uh, to use a sports analogy, um, so my son loves playing baseball, plays at, at college. And um, you know, if you're playing ball, 
there's a lot of chirping that goes on between dugouts. And if you have something called rabbit ears, where you just get so tuned in to what other people are saying, you can very easily get rattled, lose your concentration, and not do well. And you're not going to play at a high level. So you have to learn to tune that stuff out. And so what the Holy Spirit, I believe, helps us to do uh, in leading us not into temptation, but delivering us from the evil one, it's helping us to turn, tune that out, to realize that what he's saying to us, these suggestions, are there, is this trying to get me away from God? You know, the responsibility that we place is, and this is what is a risk at times, is that we'll say, we got to make a spiritual decision. And when we make that kind of comment, and I'll say this as a district president, there are times I have to challenge a congregation to say, you have to make a spiritual decision right now. Are you going to go the way of the world, or are you going to go by the way of God's word? And it's, it's fascinating to me because, you know what, we're going to make some very bad spiritual decisions <laughs> and act as if oh, it yeah. was spiritual when it was not. Like you're saying, there's, there's what the devil will suggest— is something that sounds good. For example, for Adam and Eve, it always goes back to that, where he says, no, no, you will not die. You will just have your eyes open. You're like, oh, that sounds pretty darn good. You know, like, oh, I want my eyes open. Don't you want your eyes open? Yeah, I want my eyes open. Or we will make new rules that add to this that have nothing to do with God's word because we think that the more rules I make, the more uh, our hearts have been changed. As you said, our hearts are changed by the Holy Spirit, by his word, to be able to, to, to look to Christ, as you said, and for us to make spiritual decisions that are to his glory, not my own. The problem is, where do we find our source of good decisions? Are our good decisions based upon our own, or are we going by desire? And this is so important for us today, because we will say something on the lines of, I have this desire, God has made me his creation, and how could God not allow me to follow my desires because it's such a strong thing for me. So therefore, my desire is my identity, as opposed to asking the questions right. of uh, what has God made me to be and what is God pointing me towards, which is obviously Christ and him crucified. Now, Pastor, as we, as we look at this, I want to continue to, uh, who do we blame? I mean, so, okay, we've got to blame somebody, and maybe that's the wrong question I'm asking. We will often ask, well, who is to blame through all of this when we are not, things are not going the way we want, or not going perfectly the way we wish they were, who do we blame? Or maybe that's not even the right question. So I, I think there's there's a point with a whole matter of blame, where we just have to take things where they're at, and and there's if there's blame to be put anywhere is the fact that we're fallen human beings living in a fallen world. So, for instance, I have um, I have an eye disorder, which I was I was born with, and it's just a random thing. So, a very low percentile of people have it. It's not something that um, is passed along from generation to generation. And so, at that point, you're always trying to okay, well, can I trace this back somewhere? At this point, no. It's just it's just one of those things. The reality is, we're sinners. And as far as where blame goes, the evil one is always trying to rip us away from the Lord. And we're not always good at listening to the Lord and his word. 
and following his way as opposed to being sucked up into that temptation. So I think there's a point instead of just, you know, talking about blame, where we just step back and say, you know what, this is reality. Reality is we're sinners in a sinful world. And so now what do we do in this reality? Do we just stay in this reality saying, woe is me, I can't do anything about it? Or do we hear that marvelous word of God who says, no, I've done something about it. And, you know, thy kingdom come here. Here's my kingdom. I want you to walk in my kingdom. And and so then we have this marvelous joy of having this now and not yet where we know heaven's going to be perfect. But right now, uh, the Holy Spirit can work in us this joy of the Lord's salvation as we display the fruit of the Spirit and we can live um, we can live in this kingdom reflecting what it's going to be like, you know, giving glimpses around us of what it's going to be like when we have that perfect love of neighbor as ourself, this perfect love of God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, so instead of just saying, um, okay, what's the blame here? Let's say just the reality is it's broken. So what do we do? Do we just leave it broken? Or do we hear this marvelous good news of God and say thanks be to God for your mercy and come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire, you know, of your love. One of the amazing things about when I when I study this article in particular is that God is not to blame for the uh, for the brokenness that we have, the sin that we have that we can't blame him and say, you made me this way. But what's amazing to me is that we will say, Lord, why did you do this? Lord, why is this right. even happening? And he listens. That he could easily say, you, you guys are the reason. That devil, you didn't need to follow the devil, but yet you still did. And the Lord continues to listen and allows us to lament that out which I think is one of those great yeah. realities when I'm able to see that in a person, for example, that someone can have people rail on that individual and they don't take it personal. That this person is basically railing on everything that they do and the person says, eh, you know, you might be right. I don't think you're right. And then they're able to move on and go take a nap or whatever it might be. And that's exactly what our Lord does. In the, in the scriptures, there's lament absolutely everywhere. So God, in his love, by grace, allows us to say, blame him for things that should not be blamed. He, we know, he, he knows that the salvation is set for his people, but yet he allows them to do it, which once again shows his love and grace for all people. So, Pastor, as we look at this, oh, yeah. we have about a minute and a half left in our time. What's your encouragement to our listeners as we look at, basically, this comes down to identity, not who we blame, but what has Christ done? What would you encourage our listeners as we live in a world that wants to blame everybody, but yet our Lord still loves and cares for us in Christ? So I'd, I'd go back to, I mentioned earlier, the parable of the uh, weeds and the wheat. And the reality is we're all weeds. We, we are all poor, miserable sinners. But we have this amazing God who knows how to change weeds into wheat and to make us these new people in Christ, dead in sin, uh, alive in Christ. And so as we, we go through this world and we have those times 
where uh, things might be going really, really well and we feel really close to the Lord and then bam, all of a sudden, oh yeah, um, I am a sinner, aren't I? Because I just messed up royally there. Then we come back and we have this God who again loves taking dead stuff and bringing it alive, changing us completely. And as you said, President Finneran, what a wonderful, patient, merciful, compassionate God who does not treat us as our sin deserves but instead would rather save us in our Lord Jesus and says, okay, let's go on now. You're my people, forgiven, redeemed. Let's walk together through this life until that marvelous day when that sin is no, no more and we're together forever in the Father's house. Pastor Peter Schmidt of Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church and School in Waukesha, Wisconsin, proclaiming the truth of the cause of sin from, from God's word through the Augsburg Confession, Article 18, or excuse me, 19. Pastor Schmidt, thank you for being our guest. Yeah, thank you so much I'm for Pastor having me. I'm Pastor Brady Finnern, the district president of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.